Seattle Sports Station presents the K.J. Wright Show. The ball is intercepted. K.J. Wright reaches up about 13 feet in the air. Number 15. Now every Wednesday with Brock and Saul. How y'all like that? Brought to you by Muckleshoot Casino. All right, let's get it going. No Brock today. We uh, rock out with our Brock out, but KJ is here. Yo, yo, yo. What's up, my man? Good morning. How are we here? I got to lower my seat. Yeah, I was I a little worried, man. I can't, like, tower above you. The thing is, I'm not, I'm not big enough to make the seat. <laughs> there we go. Get down here. Yeah, I was a little worried. G we'll gets be able to on you for that, and you don't change for G, but you'll change for KJ. No, I want to tower above G. I need to let G know I'm in charge because he comes in and tries to take over. KJ is much nicer, and oh, yeah. so, you know, he's he's... We gel well. We gel. We yeah. Gel. Plus, KJ is significantly more popular. Like, you know, you want to make sure that you build KJ up. Yeah. How are we doing? Doing real good, man. How about those Seahawks? How about those Seahawks? How about that game? Was that a was that a heck of a game or what? That game was very, very fun to watch. 17-0 to start it off. Then reality hit. I was like, oh, shoot. They're coming back. Mm. But then we started coming back. So it was a really fantastic game, both offensively. And defensively, um, guys creating turnovers, shots down the field, 100-yard rushers, um, the whole enchilada. To go into L.A. to play against that team, big-time win by the Seahawks. Am I crazy, or are the Seahawks winning games before the fourth quarter? No, you no, you got to <laughs> no. – Yes, you are crazy. <laughs> you don't win the game. Before. No. No. KJ's been very well programmed. You no. can't win the game until the fourth quarter. You can only win the game in the fourth quarter. All right, I was just checking. Yeah, yeah. They you seem you like almost got me, though. They seem like, all right, fair. They, you can't win the game until the fourth quarter. I know that. And Bruce knows that. But are they making it a little easier on themselves, at least in the fourth quarter, by, by playing better in the first three? Yes, it's not those big heart attack comebacks like, oh, my God, we're about to lose. But we have a miracle happen to where we get a game. They're playing really sound football, getting up early. Mm-hmm. That is a great formula to do this. And then you saw it. Then you can get your run game going. De- defensive ends and linebackers can pin their ears back and go get the quarterback. So when you can get a fast start like that, that just makes things so much easier versus playing behind the eight ball. So Why did this? Seahawks beat the Chargers? Oh, a few things. Um, you just start off. Let's start off with the first first few series. Yeah. Gino throws the pick. Gino throws the pick. Pick, you know, pick. Guys take it down to about the 15-yard line. Defense makes a four and out. They win for it on fourth down, get the ball back to the offense. So good job by the defense responding. Um, Ryan Neal gets an interception. Kenneth Walker got his carries, 20-plus carries, over 130-some-odd yards. That young man. 158, I think it was. That young man. Is looking really good. Why? What is it about him? Ooh, it's just when he gets a full head of steam, he's a problem. He's a big time problem. When he gets going north and south, vertical upfield, his lower body is strong. He has his toughness. He has sneaky speed. I thought he hit, but what did they say? About hit 20 something miles per hour. 22. 22 miles per hour. That young man is really special to watch. And he's, he's young and um, he still has a lot to learn. I was watching him a lot of times. Like, Kenneth, stop making all these cuts in the backfield. Just go. And uh, you saw the safety play. The mm-hmm. play that happened with the safety. I was looking on the one-yard line. I was like, okay. Kenneth said running back. One-yard line. Please just go straight. Don't try to do anything. Center misses on the block. Kenneth tries a little juke move. Got a safety. Mm-hmm. Rookie, okay. Let's, you know me on the one-yard line. Just go. Don't try to dance in the backfield. So as talented as he is, still has a lot to learn. And so very bright future for him. As a defense, quick, quick aside, as a defensive player, mm-hmm. is a safe, where does the safety rank in terms of your favorite moments? Is it 
better than getting into the end zone, not ahead of that, better than a fourth down stop? Like, where does a yeah. safety rank? A safety is, is one of the best plays a defensive player can make. Isn't it number one? No. It's not as good as a pick no, six. No, really? not even close. But you just look like you, you're on the one-yard line. You know what you know what play is coming. Everybody know what play is coming. It's going to be something downhill or maybe something quick to the flat or a shot. And you just just creep up, creep up, creep up, shoot shoot the line of scrimmage, get that guy. Phenomenal play. I had one in um, – both Cam and myself had one in Arizona a couple of years ago in Adrian Peterson mm-hmm. where he had the lime green jerseys on. So just momentum shift, two points, get the offense back. One of the best. Plays. I love. They're one of my favorite plays in football, just in general, because first of all, they're unique. They don't happen that often. And then you get the weirdness of like the punter coming out to kick off. Like everything about a safety <laughs> is sort of odd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you just get the two points. And, yeah. And um, yeah, big time play. Well, big it, it, it didn't seem to really uh, shift too much of the momentum because Seahawks stopped them and mm-hmm. were able to kind of get the ball back mm-hmm. and and let you know. It seemed to even wake up Walker a little bit too. Like, yeah. okay, I better get going. Yeah, and when you look at this team, they just seem like they just know how to win. Mm. They just have that confidence. Like we're on the road. It's just us. Offense playing well, defense playing well. We just have a really good dynamic going in this two-game win streak. And so, like I told you a few weeks ago, it's all about confidence. You just get that confidence like, man, we can really do this. Man, I am a really good quarterback. Man, we are special teams. We can make the dang playoffs. They picked us ranked 32. We can make the playoffs. And so just keep going, taking it one step at a time, keep building. And this week is going to be a really fantastic test. What did the defense do? They stopped the run, first of all. Stopped the run. They well, let me let me say that. The run game didn't even get going for the right. Chargers. Let's let's they got in a hole and the next yeah. thing you know, they're passing the whole game. Yeah, let's be clear. The the Chargers didn't even try to get the run game going. And then when you looked, we had several sacks. Um um Chenna, who else got a sack? Um D T got the sack mm-hmm. force force fumble with a very Jefferson. Yeah, the 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 return by Daryl Taylor. Did, did anyone else notice that? Yeah, well we we talked about it with Pete. He was running about two miles per hour. Yeah, well, how did that happen? I'm like, bro, what are you doing? <laughs> he was like looking at the quarterback. I'm running. Come tackle me. <laughs> bro, run. Um, he had the ball in the wrong hand. Um, I guess that's why he plays defensive end. But um, <laughs> really, really, really cool game. And um, I thought both Mike Jack and um, Tariq did a phenomenal job playing at, at the corner spot. Ryan Neal got a pick. These guys are they're coming to life. It sure seems, at least to a a, a a non-educated observer like myself, that as soon as Ryan Neal came in, this defense changed a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then um, you just pair him with Quandre and that chemistry that they have, that mm. dynamic that, that those two dudes have, it's really, really special. You just see the communication. Ryan Neal is deep. Ryan Neal is making his tackles. He practices extremely hard. He lives in their film room always reaching out to the older guys for advice, and he's still learning and developing. And so um, you just can't put a price tag on chemistry. And um, they're really looking good, and this, they're just getting started. The defensive line, too, though. I mean, it, you know, as you kind of think about what this team, you know, how they struggled, especially in the first four games or five games of the year, defensive line is getting blown off the ball. Mm-hmm. A couple yards, it seemed, every time. Other than Al Woods, as you said, mm-hmm. no one on that D-line seemed to be doing much of anything. What changed? What is different? Well, I think what changes, let's look at the opponents they played. They played the mm-hmm. Cardinals. In the history of the Arizona Cardinals, haven't been great 
running the ball. Let's 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 just be let's just be honest. And then you look at the Chargers last week; they didn't even try to run. I believe they ran the ball like 15 times, and so they really haven't gotten tested these last two games. They're gonna be tested on Sunday. This Sunday. This Sunday. They're gonna get tested. <laughs> they, they're gonna get tested this Sunday, and so we we're gonna really see where this defensive line is because Saquon Barkley is gonna come downhill. He's gonna get twenty five plus carries, and um, they gotta go to they gotta go to bed that night, and even throughout the week, understanding what the mindset and what the game plan is, because if you can't control number twenty six. You will win this football game. Mm. And so they're going to get this man the ball in all kind of ways. He's going to go up the middle. He's going to hit the perimeter. He's going to get screens. And so operation stop number 26. All right. We'll see how good Well, I want to hear what that looks is. like. Uh, in fact, we'll take a quick break. Come right back with a lot more KJ Wright. We got him for the whole hour. We got tickets, of course, that we're giving away today. Uh, chance to win tickets to the Seahawks and the Giants this Sunday. Yes, they'll be bringing Saquon Barkley to town and Daniel Jones, who all of a sudden is having a good season. And I don't know how many people could name any other players on that. I mean, like, how many people could you name on the Giants? Right? I mean, you got Thibodeau, right? He's having a, a good rookie season. But other than Gall- that, like, Galladay. They're not a they're not a team full of of household names or anything like that. I'm surprised they have their record. I, I still don't believe it. All right. Well, I, I want to hear what the Seahawks have to do in order to get past them. A lot more to come with KJ next. It's Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710salesports.com. This is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports Station. Yeah, we'll have uh, tickets for the Seahawks and Giants to give away here in about 15 minutes. So you got to listen carefully to things KJ says, because that's how we listen in. Yeah, you got to listen very carefully. Don't miss a word. Don't miss a word. Uh, KJ Wright, of course, uh, thanks to Muckleshoot Casino. Thank you uh, to them for allowing us to sit here and chat with KJ every week. And this hour is still driven by Wayscar Ford. So this week, Giants come to town. Last week, I thought was sort of a statement game for the Seahawks. Like, all mm-hmm. right, we beat the Chargers. We're here. Mm-hmm. You better take us seriously. Mm-hmm. But you beat a 6-1 and one Giants team. Even if you're not 100% sure that they're a real 6-1 and one team, now all of a sudden, what are you like? What what does that do? You mentioned the confidence. What happens if you beat the six and one Giants? You are a team that when people look at you, oh, we got to we got to come ready to play the Seattle Seahawks. You look at you be a six and one team, your record becomes five and three, mm-hmm. and you right there in the middle of the season to where you can like really get the momentum going. Okay, we beat the Chargers, beat the Giants. About to keep going, about to keep going, and you keep building. And so when you start doing that, it's just the the juices get flowing, the chemistry is there, the confidence is there, and you just look at yourself as a team like, man, we could really make some noise. And so you end up playing the Rams, get into more of the, the division guys, Rams 49ers, play the Cardinals here soon, and so the sky's the limit once that happens. You've been a rookie, and you've played with a lot of rookies. Is it more likely over the course of the next 10 games that the rookies get better and improve as they get more experience or that they hit a rookie wall, get tired and kind of peter out a little bit. That rookie wall stuff. I'm not a, I'm not a believer in it. I'm not a believer at all. in it. it's all about your mindset. It's all about the vets in the building, making sure that you stay on point. It's all about your coaches making sure that you stay on point. And so you can go either way, but if you have the right guys in the building to guide you through a long football season, then you will be in really good shape. I've, you know, I've, I've been a rookie and I finished strong. Bobby was a rookie, finished strong. And so, um, it's all about the, 
people in the locker room to help build you, help groom you along, make sure that you stay on top of your game. How much better were you as a player in game 14 versus game five of your of your career? Nine, nine day. <laughs> yeah, just just looking like I had so many rookie mistakes. Um, like what, like what, what, what qualifies as a rookie mistake? Just like basic stuff. I remember the first time I got scored on um, as a rookie. It was um, play. <laughs> it's so funny. Played the Atlanta Falcons and um, Tony Gonzalez, the man, and um, just a simple play. But it's a, a play that historically happens on the goal line. We call it um, back. Watch the weak side passing game. Um, they give you a play action, throw a seven cut to the tight end. Mm-hmm. Tony Gonzalez gets me. And if you look at my career. I never got beat on. Well, I'm not gonna say never, but I, I <laughs> maybe one time got beat on that same play. And so it's just stuff that that happens as a rookie. Like, dang, and it repeats itself mm. ten weeks later. Okay, I've been in the situation before. I see the situation. Third and one on the goal line. Really good tight end that he's not going to block. This guy is going to go for a pass if they run the ball his way. So just be aware and just little things just start to. You just have that that memory. That memory bank in your head, like, okay, if I'm in this situation, I got to make the play. Seahawks have six rookies, KJ, that are starting or big-time contributors for them right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charles Cross and Abe Lucas on the line. Kenneth Walker, obviously, is a, as a running back. Uh, the two cornerbacks and uh, and Mafe as, yeah. as a defensive end. Mm-hmm. Who's your favorite? It's probably a tie between Lucas and um, Tariq. You just, you just start with Lucas. He, I believe he is the guy that sets the tone on the offensive line. And you need that big, bad, nasty dude to be like, we're about to drive you off the ball, and there's nothing you can do about it. And so when you look at the success of Kenneth Walker, you have got to look at the guys that's up front blocking for him. And I believe that Lucas is that guy that really sets the tone. You don't hear his name too much. You don't hear his name with holding, with false starts. But when they run the ball and when he pass blocks, he is doing a phenomenal job. And so so I love Lucas. And obviously with, with Will and what he's doing, just becoming a lockdown guy. Mm. He's becoming a lockdown corner. That's crazy. That's, That's supposed to be a lockdown corner after seven games, are you? You're not, but he is. And you just look at his technique. He's so savvy. He He's breaking up um, routes that's come like curl routes, getting PBUs, dig routes, getting his hands on the football, and his confidence is just just through the roof. And so those two guys are right now my favorite. I'm looking for my fame to um, – they put him in space. They put him in space a little bit too much. I want to see this man get going. Like, let him rush the passer. Don't be having him out there covering Eckler and out of running out of the backfield. Let him let him go loose so we could really see his skill set. You know, it's funny. I asked this question earlier, and Justin Moore and I were going through it, and um, Justin went with, with Tariq, and I actually went with Abe Lucas, who was yeah. my favorite so far. Um, and and that, that physicality on the offensive line, it seems strange that you don't find more of it. I, I know oh, it's, it's, isn't that weird? Like you, I in, in my like when I imagine a pro football player, yep. and especially an offensive lineman, I think of these mean, physical people who love to go hit and kill yep. people, and it, it for whatever <laughs> reason seems challenging to find those guys who really want to set the tone from that position. What you're thinking of is linemen in the seventies, eighties, and nineties. Yeah, okay. When you're, yeah, when you was growing up, that's that's like I wasn't growing up in the seventies. Let's calm down. But yes, the eighties and nineties. Thank you. That's that's what it was back in the day, and it's become it's become a finesse game. When you look at offensive linemen, they're looking for those guys with those nice feet. Can this guy move? Um, like they call Charles Cross sweet feet. Mm-hmm. They're looking for those guys that could really block. 
block these fast and powerful defensive ends. But um, if I'm, well, I look at this offensive line, this is what it's supposed to look like. This is football. When you're driving guys off the ball, when you're double teaming guys, when you're scooping guys, climbing to the to the next level, the 49ers is a team that also does this. So that's what an offensive line is supposed to look like. So I believe in the interior, you can have those big maulers. But on the on the on the um, perimeter, especially at left tackle, you got to have a guy that could protect your quarterback's blind. Who's the nastiest offensive lineman you played against? Who you're just like, man, I don't want this guy blocking me all day. Like, I, get this guy away from me. A guy that was a pest was um, what's the guy from the Philadelphia Eagles, the center, uh, Kelsey. Kelsey, he was a, a pest. The guy from the um, the Falcons, and he's right. He's with the the Forty Nineers this past year, a center. The guys that could climb really fast and then mm. get on you are the absolute worst. So speed. Speed. Speed at the offensive line. And that's what the Seahawks did, right? When they went to mm-hmm. get cross, that's what they liked so much about him was mm-hmm. the speed. So when a guy can climb up to you, get to oh. the second level really fast to where he makes you either go back door or attack him really fast is the absolute worst. If we were to get uh, Mebane back on the show next, and we had a lot of fun with him last week, and I asked him that question, what would he say was the quality? That, because would it still be speed if you're a defensive lineman up front? Well, Mebane was a fast guy, so right. he... he I don't think that there was a, a lineman that could get him, but him and Max Unger used to have these battles all the time. So whatever skill set Max Unger had, <laughs> that's what a guy that he would say is uh, really frustrating. Comedy, mostly, I think, was was Max's best skill. Was that? Comedy? Comedy. <laughs> pretty funny, dude. Yeah. Uh, pretty chill dude from, from Hawaii. Yeah. All right, KJ, um, I want to ask you about Pete, and we're going we're gonna to spend some time on Pete. Uh, I have a couple of thoughts. One, I think a lot of people owe Pete an apology, and I'll play you some sound to that. And two... I think that over the course of the last few days, I discovered the one word that seems to be making the biggest difference for the Seahawks this year. I'll see if you agree with me. That's coming up. KJ Wright. Oh, and we've got tickets. we got tickets to give away. I hope you've been listening to KJ because I got tickets for the Seahawks and Giants. And if you were listening, I'll ask you a pretty good question from something KJ just said. And if you answer it correctly, you may be the first to, or if you're the first to answer it correctly, you'll be going to see the Seahawks and Giants. Right. Come right back. KJ Wright is here. It's brought to you by Muckleshoot Casino on Seattle Sports on 710. You're listening to Brock and Song. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports Station. All right, you want to win some tickets? You want to win tickets? KJ told us a few minutes ago that the first touchdown he gave up in his career was to a very good player. Mm. Who was that player who beat KJ for his first touchdown of uh, the KJ, not of his career, but that KJ gave up in I his career? I believe KJ characterized it as a rookie mistake. Yes, as well, so. it was a rookie yes. mistake. 866-979-3776 is the phone number, and uh, we'll take the first person who can answer that question correctly and send you to go see the Seahawks and Giants this weekend at Lumen Field. All right, I got a bunch of uh, I got a bunch of sound for you here, KJ. I want okay. you to react to a lot of uh, Pete sound uh, from our <laughs> chat with him on Monday because he was uh, he was very Pete. I guess I would say he was he was about as Pete as he gets. Um, we were asking him about about whether or not there is a sense of kind of being reinvigorated and working with some of these young guys or some of the fact that, you know, his style is working when yeah. a lot of people said it wasn't. Yeah. 
And uh, here was his answer. I do think that the ability to focus under the circumstances of when people are doubting you and people you know, are questioning this and that, and in my case, how old you are and you're stuck in the mud and running mm-hmm. the football is like you know, archaic and all that. Well, people don't get it. And so I, I, I love to show them and I love to prove it to them that we do understand what we're doing and we haven't lost our edge and we are still ready to battle and we'll go wherever we got to go to do whatever we got to do to get it done. And, and uh, that those, those things, that, that's what makes this thing work and makes us, you know, makes us stay, I think on, at the edge, like we need to stay. And so, uh, I don't know. Point of it is this is, this is a freaking blast. And, uh, <laughs> the, the best is yet to come. We ain't, we ain't even close to where we're going to go. What do you make of, uh, Pete kind of, you know, talking back to some of his haters. That dude is the ultimate competitor out of all the people I know. That man competes his tail off each and every day. And you look at him, even, he hears the noise. He hears the noise. He hears what people say he can't do. He hears people talking about his age. He hears people talking about his philosophy is very outdated. But what does he do? He finds a way to make it work. He finds a way to make certain changes, bring in certain people, let certain people leave the building, and make sure that this philosophy <coughs> excuse me, and this team stays afloat, and we're going to find a way to get this done my way. Is there such thing as an outdated philosophy in the NFL? No. His philosophy is the philosophy that, that I believe it that works. You look at it, control the line of scrimmage. That's where it always starts. In football, you got to control the line of scrimmage. And then you look at it, run the ball, play action, get the ball downfield. No, this philosophy has stood the test of time. Well, so, so all right, let me, uh, by the way, I've been a huge supporter of Pete's here, but let me play devil's advocate. How did they get away from that for a while? Like, how how did this team struggle to control the line of scrimmage for as long as it did over the course of the last what five years or so? Yeah, I mean, you just look at it. Look at the <clears throat> yeah. Look at the product that was on the field. Personnel. Did, yeah. Did they have the personnel and the product to execute that mission? Hmm. <clears throat> I don't know why I'm coughing so much. Sorry. Did they have the execute the the product to execute that mission? I don't think they did. Mm. But you look at the, this past offseason, you look at the draft, okay, let's let's put some investment into this offensive line. Let's go get some big maulers to really get back to what we know we can do. And they did that, and you see that it's slowly starting to come to life. And so you like, hey, I want to run the football? Okay, Coach Carroll, go draft some guys that can block. Right. Go draft a running back that could run the ball. You want to get this philosophy? Then go do what you say you want to do. And so for him and John Snyder to be in sync with how they want to lead this football team, mm. it's been a beautiful dynamic over the past few decades. And I believe that they hit the reset button last year, and they go get it started you know, going forward. Well, so, so I'm glad you say in sync because that, that fits nicely into the word that, that I've been using over the last couple of days to describe where I think the Seahawks have, have started to turn around this year. And my word was alignment, but it, it just it just as easily could have been sync. I mean, they sort of mean yeah. the same thing. Um, and I and as I was going through it, it, it dawns on me that it's in a few different parts of their game. It's I mean, and and I don't mean to make this about Russ, but the head coach and the quarterback now mm-hmm. seem to be in sync, mm-hmm. aligned on what their mission is, on what they want to accomplish, on what their offensive philosophy should be. Absolutely. That puts the offensive coordinator, who, by the way, was new last year, mm-hmm. in a much better position of being able to 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 utilize all of his skills. Mm-hmm. His and and I, this is part I kind of want some of your thoughts on. They made a change on the offensive line with their coach. There It was Mike Solari for yeah. a long time. They brought in Dickerson, who came with Shane Waldron. Yeah, and it's a minor thing, but. Dickerson runs the type of offensive line yep. style that yep. 
they wanted for this uh, for this system. And yep. then they brought in, as you just said, two offensive linemen, who three offensive linemen, include yep. Blythe on that list, yep. who fit this system. How important is fit alignment being in sync to the success of a football team? It's everything. And, and this thing, Mike, it, it starts at top. It starts with Pete and John. It starts with those guys getting the game plan together. Hey, let's look at our coaching staff. Who fits what we want to do? Is is it Solari? No. Okay, let's make a change. Is it? Um, and that doesn't mean he's a bad coach. No, he just doesn't fit this style that we're trying to run. Who fits this style? And then you go to the coaches. Can these coaches be in sync with one another? Will these coaches listen to me? I've been on, I've been a part of some staff where coaches go back and forth. I'm like, what the heck is this? They're arguing with each other. Arguing with each other. Mm. That cannot happen. And then you look at then you look at the players. So okay. what, by the way, what happens when a player watches the two coaches fighting with each other? It's a mess. It's like if the coaches can't get along, then then we are in very bad shape. <laughs> you two dudes can't get along, and y'all trying to tell us what to do? <laughs> no, man, that won't fly. <laughs> that would not fly. And um, and then you look at Coach Carroll with the quarterback. Okay, this is a guy that I can that I can mold, and that he could fit, that I could groom into being mm-hmm. what I want him to be. The play of the day last week was Coach Carroll. Looking at Gino when Gino was spazzing on the sideline. When he gave him the Buddha sign, like he rubbed his belly. Like, Gino, Gino, calm down. <laughs> calm down. And then you look at the next play, third and 11, mm, right to Tyler Lockett, and Gino looked to the sideline, like, yeah. That was a bullet he threw. That was beautiful. Yeah. But just you look at Coach Carroll, like, how he, how, would he, would he have done that? Would he have done that to Russ? I don't know. I don't know. But he did it to Gino, and Gino looked at him, and Gino relaxed. He, he calmed down. Next play, bullet to Tyler. Made another few first downs. Got a field goal out of that drive. And so being in sync and chemistry is everything to a locker room and to an organization. And when you're not on the same wavelength, it definitely shows on the football field. I think people should apologize to Pete. You think there's a lot of people out there who owe Pete an apology? Not yet. Not yet. Oh. Interesting. So I've been, I've been kind of going through and listening to some of the national folks who started to weigh in on on what's happening here in Seattle. Here's a little Stephen A. from uh, a couple days ago. Geno Smith is balling. And I got to also give love to Pete Carroll because right now he looks like a man right. that was protecting Russell Wilson. Wow. He looks like a man that wasn't wasn't reining him in or constraining him, rather, and preventing him from shining. He looks like a guy that knew Russell Wilson's limitations and and, and maximized his potential. You think a lot of you think people are going to start to come around to that view? Mm, It's still too early. Too early. Where are we in week seven? Yeah, it's it's week seven. It's way too early. Holler us around week. 14, week 15, let's really see what the record is and let's really see this philosophy stay true and come to life. It's still way too early. I I don't want people, because a lot of people have been bashing me as well. They've been talking. Oh, yeah. When when I went on NFL Network and People bash you? Not people in Seattle. No, people was calling me crazy in Seattle. What? When I was rooting for Gino, they was like, KJ, you, I love you, KJ, but oh, you yeah. have no idea what you're talking about. Well, you about. were crazy then. No, I was with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I'm not going to go off and just start talking my smack until about week 15. Because this is like the end of the first half right now. Like, you're, you're not ready to just really talk yet. It's still too early. I'm going to chirp a little bit, okay. but I'm going to lose my mind <laughs> once, once this team gets to 9, 10 well, wins. I, I think the, the the thing, though, is it's, some of it has to do with what the Seahawks are doing. Some of it has to do with what Geno Smith is doing. But it's not entirely that. Some of it is what's happening in Denver and at 2 and 5 with Russ. What did you just say more? What is he doing on their trip to, to London? <laughs> 
Oh, yeah. You guys want an update? <laughs> yes. I need a uh, London uh, plane update. Zach Stevens, who uh, writes for uh, thedenver.com. He's a pro- member of the Pro Football Writers Association, so it should be legit. Uh, he said that Russell Wilson told reporters that he worked out and stretched for four of the eight hours on the flight from Denver to London. <laughs> said he was doing high knees in the aisle when the rest of the guys were asleep. No time to sleep. Well, he mentioned that the rest of the guys were asleep. Oh, so he had to. So not only was he working hard, but all my teammates were doing jack. Come on. More, more high knees. Yes. High knees on the airplane. Is that even good when you have a hamstring injury? High knees? How does that work? I can't believe that. Is that like at the beginning of every practice when you guys like kind of run back and forth and you do the like leg kicks and high knees? Like every like everyone has to run back and forth five times. And and what is his teammates? The teammates there were awake. What are they looking at him like, bro? Who are you? Who are you? You haven't played. You did play a game in Europe, right? You played a game in London. No, I was hurt. Oh, you were hurt. Yeah, so you didn't go. No, I didn't go. Okay. I'm on his team. Is probably looking like Russell. What? What? Come on, man. <laughs> what are guys doing a long flight? You High s- knees? You get up, you walk around, you move your knees. You don't... The high knees... I'm envisioning the high knees before <laughs> practice or a game where you're pumping, That's what I mean. you're pumping your elbows and your arms and your, <laughs> your knees are high. I mean, is it much different than this quote from last year on his finger rehabbing? I think to be surrounded around some of the best people in the world, you know, daily, obviously this organization and people around here, um, and also, too, just kind of my performance team. I mean, just to have... Uh, Amy, my PT, uh, with, with the amount of time. I mean, we literally probably 20 hours a day, 19 hours a day, you know, we're working on, on, on this hand, just trying to, to, to break records with this thing because, you know, it's a pre- it was a pretty severe injury, you know, in the sense of uh, 19 hours how many a day. Happened, you know, so I think that for me, my whole, my whole mindset was to cut the time in half. He worked on his finger for 19 hours a day. So while he was asleep, she was just yeah. massaging. Mm-hmm. To, run it, to run his credit, to Russ's credit, I've been that guy. I've been that guy to where I could I could honestly say that I that I rehabbed like eighteen hours a day. Did you really? I, I've been that guy. I would set my alarm in the middle of the night to do something. Like what? Whether it was t- to ice my knee. I would sleep with a um mm. a game ready on my knee. I would sleep with a game ready on my knee, or I would wake up every hour to rub my knee or to do something. To cut the time in half. Okay. So I'm gonna give him credit for that one. All right. But high, knees. but high knees on a plane, <laughs> you cut that mess out. Line. Stop that. Don't try, do that I'm again. To sleep, man. Yes. <laughs> Stop doing high knees. Heavy breathing in my ear while you high knees. I just mess. don't even understand well, how then, high knees are good for a hamstring injury. And then you're gonna come back and be all sweaty on a plane sitting next to me? I don't want any sweaty bodies on the plane. No. They no. don't have showers on that thing, right? Uh no. I mean, I know the planes are nice. They're not like, you know, your typical 737. But I doubt they have They showers. don't have showers. No, he's yeah. in this wind. All right. That's that's <laughs> fa- fairly, fairly disgusting. Um, no, but to come back to Russ there, part of the Pete Apology Tour thing for me has to do with what's happening in, in the disaster in Denver because Russ is... is Kind of showing that 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 was part of the problem, not that he was the problem, yeah. but that what he wanted to be was the problem. Who could have ever predicted that a two and five record at this point of the year? No one, no one saw that. No, you don't pay someone that much money if you even think it would be remotely close to that. And so that's all surprising to say that. To, when you look at Russell, say that he's a two and five quarterback is that's not true. He is not a two and five quarterback. He's played like one. 
He is not a two and five. I get that. I'm not disagreeing with you. I I mean, look, I agree with you. He's played like one, and I and, I, and he really has. I mean, if you take the jersey numbers off and just watch the play, <laughs> he's played like it, right? And 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 to me, it comes back to the style. I think if Russell Wilson played the style of football that he was successful with for all the years in Seattle, right now in Denver, they'd be successful. And he'd be successful. Yes. If he was run and read option and play action and all the things that make Russ great, there's a mm -hmm. million of them. And there's other factors in Denver as well. There are. You have have a new head coach who, you you look at him, no, people saying he's on the hot seat. People saying he's on the hot seat already in in week week seven, week eight, and so on. There's other factors contributing to this, but um, it's it's just so surprising. It's so surprising. And I do think that he will figure it out. But the 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 apologies to Pete aren't because Russ has struggled. They're partly because of that. Mm-hmm. I think to me the, the the apologies to Pete are because of everybody who said you're old, your system doesn't work, you're wasting Russell Wilson's prime of his career, yeah. you're you're outdated. You should be the one to go. The Seahawks should keep Russell and get rid of mm. Pete Carroll. Mm. I mean, like. Th- those are the those were the statements, and it ignored Pete's culture building, and it ignored Pete's philosophy, which, when run in alignment, mm-hmm. sure seems like it has an opportunity to work. Yeah, yeah. And then on top of that, you you last year you don't make the playoffs, and then your defense had been giving up historically bad numbers, mm-hmm. and so those people they had they had an argument. It for last like three years, it wasn't looking the greatest. It was not looking the greatest. Let's, let's, just, let's just be yeah. honest. It wasn't looking too phenomenal. And so you, you, he had to hit the reset button and figure out how do I make what I truly believe in look very, very good. And he did that. He made some changes. He made some offseason moves to say, okay, this is, this is going to work or we're going to look even, even worse with mm-hmm. the decisions that we made. And so far, that, so far right now, it's looking like, okay, I made some good decisions. I made some personnel changes, made some coaching changes. Now we're all in alignment, and we can carry this team forward and really make some noise. The Seahawks have had success, KJ, this year primarily. All of these things are true, but which one is the most true? They've had success this year because of Pete, because of Geno, or because of the rookie class? <laughs> I'm a believer. It's, everything starts at the top and goes down. you got to give it to you got to give it to Coach Carroll. Yeah. You got to get to Co- Coach Coach Carroll, man. And just um, he's teaching these guys the winning formula, the winning philosophy. You know what I mean? Like he, he, he saw this defense look terrible, look terrible these first few weeks. And then you look at them guys now, these last two weeks, that this is, the, this is what the NFL defense looks like. Yeah. And I believe that Coach Carroll had a really big hand in that. He had a really big hand in that. Look at Geno the first few games. It was like two-yard passes, two, three-yard passes the first few weeks. How about the throw he had Geno May? I don't know Pete's not calling every play, but you mentioned the uh, the bullet to Tyler Lockett that he threw. Go back to the beginning of that drive, second and eight, inside his own five, and Geno throws over the middle to, I think it was Disley, for a first down that got them out away yep. from the goal line. Out of the back, yep. Yeah, and I'm like, man, that that's real trust in a quarterback. That's not game management. Yep. That's trusting your quarterback in mm-hmm. a big spot to throw over the middle in a dangerous spot. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was, if anything, as as telling of where Geno is as anything. And your guy, Sherm, is certainly backing Geno up for uh, for some from accolades, for sure. Man, this guy, quarterback, he has to be a pro bowler. He has to, he has to be an all-star for this league. And he's on pace to be one. If they're doing Pro Bowl voting, Geno Smith better be get a Pro Bowl vote this year. 
And and if he keeps this up, I mean, he might he might sneak in and get an all pro vote. Who knows? But he better be on the NFC's Pro Bowl team because he's playing like one of the best quarterbacks on that side of the football. Geno Smith is showing up in a big way and earning himself a lot of money next year. I bet the Seahawks wish they had him tied up for a few years right now. <laughs> Good love, sir. Once you keep getting this, once Geno keeps getting this media attention, oh, number one in QBR. Oh, Russ is gone and Geno's doing well. Oh, he's making bombs to Tyler. Once he keeps getting this media attention, absolutely. Because hmm. Pro Bowl is all media. Right. Pro Bowl is all media, all fan base. Like, oh, fans looking at Seahawks like, oh, let me vote for this guy. I like this Geno Smith guy. Once he keeps getting this, these, um, keep this ball going, this momentum going, absolutely. Needs the attention, essentially. When, when, the, when attention. you get some of the attention. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in terms of, of Geno, uh, man, where was I going to go with this? Uh, let me play you one more cut. Here's yeah. uh, here's Dan Orlovsky also talking about how, how some of that same attention. What Gino has done has been incredible. He, I, we did the preseason game out there for them. Uh, it was Seattle, Chicago. And I just remember going to practice one day and I tweeted it out. I was like, Gino is throwing the absolute stripe out of the football today. And it wasn't even close to me, the Gino Smith-Drew Locke competition. It seemed like the Seattle Seahawks wanted Locke, but I was like, watch Gino throw. He's playing incredible football. And they're leading the division right now. Pete has done obviously saw stuff in Gino in that team that we did not anticipate, but it's as good, if not the best story going in the NFL so Dan, side of the Giants. So, so KJ, what mm-hmm. what else does Gino need to show? You know, stuff like this makes me so mad. It makes me so angry. Like, how do you go from bashing a guy, saying he's the scum of the earth, the worst thing since sliced bread, and just in a matter of weeks... He's a pro bowler. Oh, I can tell you because I'm, does- I'm doing that myself. So let me let me try to answer that question. <laughs> you have an opinion. When your opinion is clearly identified with evidence as having not worked out, what are you supposed to do? Stick with it? Would you prefer, because that's what Skip Bayless does, right? You want me to sit here and say, yeah, Gino's still terrible? He's not. I'm objectively watching it. He's playing well. How can I sit here and keep saying he's terrible? I can't. I was wrong. What do you want? But what... <laughs> But when you look at Gino, when you look at Gino, what led him, what, how did he become, how does he became like being called terrible? What went into that opinion? I watched him play. It didn't look good. When? Well, when he, he hasn't he, played in years. In, well, first of all, I watched him when he did play. His resume was not very good. He'd come in He's in on the a pre- bad team. He'd come in in preseason. He wouldn't look good then. Like I, we watched him play. He never looked like he was in any way capable of doing what he's doing now. And he's been unbelievable. Mike, no, <laughs> no. So the the word yeah. terrible is like when I think of terrible, I think of um, what's that quarterback that got drafted before um Peyton Manning? The like the no, guy Ryan from Wazoo. Yes, he was terrible. <laughs> that guy was terrible. Geno has never been terrible. You you can't, you gotta look at it from a holistic standpoint. Bad team, bad organization. Coaches don't trust in me. Those factors go into your success and your failures. Right. But when you just look at the product, okay, can throw the ball. He's making his reads. Oh, that is not terrible. That is not terrible football. But people were bashing this dude, and now you want to come on the Geno Smith train? No. Stay off. Stick to your guns. Give it. Give it a complete season before you just up and just. Well, I think there's, a, there's an in between. So there's an in between. Look, when when objective evidence shows that the guy's playing better than you thought he would, you, you have to recognize it, or else you look blind. I'm not blind. He's playing really good football. I think there's two things Gino has not yet shown. 
One, and we've talked about this, quarterbacks get judged on those you know last couple minutes of the mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. The Seahawks, for whatever reason, after years, decades of playing games that come down to the last few minutes, haven't really had a lot of that this mm-hmm. year, where Geno's down two with the ball with a minute left. We haven't really seen that. Mm-hmm. So i got to see some of that. And then the other would be, how does he handle not playing well? Mm. What happens when he has a, a bad game? Him, yes. not the team. Mm-hmm. Him, because it'll happen. Mm-hmm. Happens to everybody. Mm-hmm. How does he handle that? Because mm-hmm. I, you know, some of some of the Gino personas, he's a little chirpy, which is fine when you're winning. <laughs> how does that? Which is fine. I don't. I don't object yeah, to that. Yeah. I like that at times. Yeah. How do you handle all that when you're losing? Do you start going after the fans, which we've seen from him in the past? I don't do that. Look, right. Like how how does he handle some adversity? We haven't seen that yet this year, and I'm not yes. saying he can't do it. I'm just saying that's one of those things I'll be watching for. Yes. So with what you've seen so far, answer that question yourself. Does he have the ability hmm. to lead a team from from two two scores down to um so to far, be like yeah. the, the ball is in your hands? There's no running games. So so far this year, he's done that. Okay. Much to my surprise. And you know what's crazy? Let's say when he is put in this situation and he doesn't do it. Oh no, Gino! He can't do. It. He doesn't have the the savvy to lead a team back. That's probably I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, man. No, you got to be open minded. He gets more than one shot at it, but but that is the key, right? I mean, that's that's what separates the Brady's and the Rogers and the Absolutely. Mannings and all Absolutely. those guys is when they get the ball at the end of the game. You're like, good luck, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, like th- those guys when they get the ball in those spots, you know they're going to find a way down the down the field to win. Absolutely, and let, we don't know that yet about Gino. Now let me ask you this: Do the, C- the Seahawks have, have enough at wide receiver to get that done for Gino? Ooh, without DK here for a little while, yes. I don't know. They got a lot of tight end, right? And so, so if you say wide receiver, my answer will be no. Yeah. If you say people who can catch the ball, my answer might change <laughs> based on how much they're using the three wide, three yes. uh, tight ends and what they're doing with it. All right, KJ, we're out of time. You want to stick around for 10 more minutes? Give me, I got you. I got you. All right, KJ's going to stick around for 10 more minutes. We just have to. We got to finish this conversation. Let's bring G Scott on, man. Well, no, let's not. We don't, we need more than 10 <laughs> minutes for that. Uh, who got the tickets? Who who do we, who do we give the tickets uh, to? Dakota and Monroe won the tickets. Way to go, Dakota. Nice job. You knew that it was. Tony Gonzalez. Tony Gonzalez. Let's get thing one understood. He is the best. When you look at the tight ends in the history of the NFL, Tony Gonzalez number is one. my number one. Wow, number one. So you got beat by the best. No shame in that. No shame. You learned a little something. All right, KJ's going to stick around. We're going to finish this Geno Smith debate. And my guess is G's just going, oh, no, thankfully G has to start a show at 9 o'clock, so he can't come <laughs> in here. Uh, it is Brock and Salk. A few more minutes with KJ on Seattle Sports on 710.